you can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. It's another beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest. And this is the Bose Nose Show coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And I am your host, Jay Bozovich, the West Lane County Commissioner. And this is the Bose Nose we, Show. We usually come to you at 4 o'clock, but today we're at 6 because I had a budget meeting that conflicted today. And my guest today is Sheriff Byron Trapp. And if you want to talk to the sheriff today, just give us a call at 646 646- 721-9887 and just press 1 and that lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And you can always email us at talk at krbnradio.net. So I've got Sheriff Trapp on and Sheriff, you've, we've got a levy coming up on, on the ballot. You want to tell us a little bit about what's on the ballot uh, for the right. May 16th election? Absolutely, uh, and thanks for for inviting me on and, uh, to visit with you again. So it's measure twenty dash two seven one, and it's on the uh, ballots that have been mailed out. Should be on everybody's uh, dinner table, ready to be uh, filled out and mailed back in. And it is a renewal of the jail levy that was passed four years ago in twenty thirteen. Uh, we had. Uh, hit an all-time low in modern history with jail capacity and other service levels of the sheriff's office and public safety generally at the county through a series of of very bad budget years where we had a a number of layoffs and uh, service reductions. And the community conversations that we had for a period of a year or so led us to... uh, uh, put forward an effort to fund the jail. The community told us then that the number one uh, concern of the community was having an adequate jail. We were down to 125 beds for local offenders out of a jail that can hold 507. And a uh, state uh, average that should put us at about 600 jail beds for our county uh, population and crime rate. And so we were finding ourselves releasing uh, very violent offenders from our jail on a routine basis. In uh, the year before the levy passed, we had released over 5,000 people, uh, either pre-trial before they saw the courtroom or uh, from an early release from a sentence imposed by a judge. And uh, many of those were Measure 11 offenders and violent felon charges uh, that were person crimes to include some homicide, a couple of rape uh, suspect releases, uh, other violent assault, uh, child sex crimes, and, and a, a variety of those very violent, ugly cases. And so the community uh, supported funding the jail at a modest level, and so we were able to put together a, a, uh, a funding proposal that the community supported in 2013. It was a $0.55 cent per thousand assessed value property tax rate on a five-year levy, and it allowed us to um, bring the jail capacity up over 250%. So we're at 317 beds for local offenders today. Uh, we've reduced the capacity-based rele- releases by over 63%. We're no longer uh, releasing Measure 11 offenders or violent felons that are uh, pre-trial or waiting to see a courtroom. And we have been able to substantially increase mental health services uh, to those in the jail. And youth services has doubled capacity in both treatment and detention. Well, it sounds great to double capacity. They only started at eight beds in each category. So they went from eight detention beds to 16 detention beds. They went from eight treatment beds to 16 treatment beds. That allows them to keep the female uh, youth 
in Lane County instead of shipping them out of county, which further separates them from their support systems, families, and loved ones, and, and makes it more difficult for their treatment providing uh, services. So number of really incredible gains we've made. And so what we're asking the community to do is simply renew what was passed in 2013 with absolutely no changes. The rate doesn't change. The rules regarding the control of the funds won't change. It's still going to be audited annually to verify the funds are being used exclusively for jail and youth services and not anywhere else that the fund is maintained in an independent uh, account, not commingled with county other county revenues. So the funds collected on the levy are completely accountable. And that uh, we will continue to maintain a minimum service level of 255 local jail beds where we're far exceeded that at this point. And uh, and simply asking the community not to grow public safety any further than what we committed to four years ago, but just simply to continue funding the investments made and, and stay on this path to maintaining at least a moderate jail capacity for the violent offenders in Lane County. Well, that sounds great, and, and it's really um, great that we're doing exactly the same levy that we we past four years ago, because it makes it pe easy for people to understand. Um, you know, we, we, we did some significant education about what we were trying to pass back then, and we can just say it, it's the same thing as we've always done uh, with the, uh, you know, the, the promise to maintain a minimum of the 255 jail beds, um, the, the promise to audit it every year, the promise to keep the funds separate, um, and, and in addition, you know, the, the commissioners um, keeping a certain amount of general fund. And right. as I, you know, yesterday, yesterday the uh, county administrator uh, issued our, the proposed budget to the budget committee um, uh, for the upcoming fiscal year 17-18. Uh, uh, and looking at the Department of Public Safety, which is the sheriff's office, um, when you look at uh, you know requirements by fund, the local option le levy is making up about 39% uh, of your of your budget there, and general yeah, funds making right. up about 40. Yeah, uh, well, no, for the uh, the whole sheriff's office, and for and general fund makes up about 42%. There's there's you know your uh, at least that's where the requirements uh, sit is in the general fund. And, um, and of course, there's other special revenue, which I think is some of the state and federal funding, you know, rented jail beds and all that. And there's, um, you know, you have some uh, 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 motor pool funds that are in there too. And a few other things, commissary, make up small pieces of your budget. But it, it's pretty amazing that, the, the local option levy makes up such a big piece of the sheriff's office uh, funding, and it's almost exactly equal to what what the, the uh, general fund uh, contributions are into the sheriff's department. Um, so it's it's uh, it's pretty important to to your guys' function, um, and it's really allowed for some uh, pretty innovative things to happen in the jail. Uh, the fact that we've had that um, levy funding has kind of allowed us um, to utilize uh, a combination of funds, uh, you know, with some some uh, leverage, some general funds, uh, some community corrections funding, some justice reinvestment funding, and do some pretty interesting things in the jail. And you mentioned um, mental health. We added um, three positions uh, in the jail for mental health professionals to help uh, assess people because I think you've mentioned in the past that about 60% of your inmates have some kind of um, mental health uh, prognosis uh, involved, uh, you know, which is, you know, pretty amazing. You know, it, when, and if you think about that and the fact that there's, you know, uh, over 300 people in the jail at any one time, that makes Lane County the, the, the largest, the, the jail, the largest number of mental health beds. If you take 60% of that, there's no facility right. in Lane County that has that many beds. Right. Even the Junction City Hospital, 
is, is only uh, about a hundred beds, eighty to a hundred beds. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a it's a huge challenge, and you know, just uh, a few years ago, just more than a, do- a decade ago, uh, twenty two thousand five, our assessed population then was about thirty uh, percent suffered mental illness. And today, just over a decade, we're up to 60%. And those numbers are consistent with the state of Oregon and uh, national numbers. Uh, we were at the national averages around 30% in 05. And today, we're consistent with the national averages of jails in the country uh, are about 60 to 65% uh, population with mental illness. So. It's a it's a national trend. It's a state trend, and certainly affects us here locally. And and when we have a population with mental illness, we have a number of of factors that come into play. We have a constitutional charge, as well as state and federal laws, that mandate we provide a safe environment for those in our custody, and that includes uh, safety from harm from themselves, from other inmates, and uh, that we provide effective and adequate medical care. Uh, and medical care includes mental health care. And so uh, we have been challenged over the last couple of years with some uh, high liability cases of self-harm in our jail, uh, and those cases were uh, with individuals suffering a mental illness. And uh, we uh, simply recognized that as our population increases, as we increase the capacity of the jail with the funding of the levy, that we simply had to keep pace with the mental illness uh, within the jail. And so we did two things in, over the last year. We renegotiated a portion of the contract with the medical provider. We, provide, we have a contract with a company that provides all the medical services within the jail. It's California Forensic Medical Group, CFMG. They provide also as part of their contract mental health services. So we renegotiated the mental health piece. They added some service level some mental health uh, staffing. Uh, we Through them, we have a full-time psychologist assigned to the jail, as well as some other mental health services, some actual treatment programming that has been added to the jail population. And in addition to that, we contracted with Lane County's Behavioral Health for three uh, positions to work inside the jail, mental health workers that are employed by Behavioral Health that we pay for to work inside the jail with our population. Those two mental health service providers provide two distinctly different services. The medical contract provider provides uh, the actual treatment and diagnosis and care in an ongoing uh, clinical uh, manner, while the behavioral health augments that. In addition to that, the behavioral health staff are to focus on providing a family liaison to family members. We have many of the mentally ill in our jail have family members and loved ones that have great concern for their safety and well-being when they're in our jail, and they have a tendency, which is completely understandable, when they can no longer communicate freely with their loved one, they can get very distraught, sometimes panicky, and very concerned about uh, whether or not we're providing adequate care. This allows them a direct conduit to the medical services. We can actually benefit from that conversation and, and with the family member obtain a lot more detail about the person's condition and care necessities and medications and all those things that we can transfer into the jail and continue that and be more responsive to that person's need, therefore reducing their risk of harm to themselves while we're making the inmates safer from each other and themselves, we're also increasing the safety of our deputies, which is not a a uh, small thing. Uh, one of the uh, yeah. you know there's a there's a great risk of harm to our staff that work in the jail, and uh, use of force events are not uncommon in any jail, and ours is not exempt from that. And we have an example that happened just the other day in Florence, where uh, two officers were very badly injured. Uh, from an inmate who became violent in the jail in in, in uh, Florence, and so those are just reminders of the harm and the the risks that go with it. So all of these things limit our liability, which limits the cost to taxpayers because we pay less money when we have lower liabilities. It increases the safety to our staff, and it increases the safety to the inmates. And it's a very uh, large project to manage and coordinate the care, but you know it is something that is clearly the right thing to do as well as a legal obligation. So that's a 
it's been a big increase, a big adjustment in in uh, making sure that we've we've identifying the appropriate services to meet the population needs, and we'll continue to evaluate it as we go. But I think we've adjusted in in a level today that is adequate for the current jail population, and we'll continue to to assess that as we go forward. Yeah, and and the other benefit to having those um, mental health workers in the jail and talking with family is it tends to have a better transition upon release because a lot of these folks aren't going to stay in jail up till trial because they're they're probably in there because of something, some behavior they were exhibiting in public um, due to their mental right. health issue. And um, having that connection with the family and getting the right meds and everything else means they'll be more stable upon release and possibly uh, getting a better handoff to um, because they've already been in contact with Lane County Mental Health Services to maybe stay yeah. more uh, in contact with their treatment. And it kind of uh, saves in, in re-arrest because, you know, what right. used to happen in, in the past um, was we'd arrest somebody, you know, Eugene police would arrest somebody because they were uh, exhibiting some bizarre behavior in public that, that went on to the criminal side They'd end up in, in your jail. Um, that person would get released, uh, you know, uh, prior to, to trial or something like that, go back out without having changed their mental state very much and re-exhibit the behavior again and be right back in your jail. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the other piece of the, the behavioral health team, the other piece of their, of their program is uh, exactly that. It's to identify what services this inmate needs when they are released and essentially begin a discharge planning effort once the inmate books in and is identified with mental health needs or not just mental health uh, but special needs within that arena. So we have uh, uh, dealt with uh, autistic uh, uh, inmates and uh, inmates with other other unique needs that that really uh, this team will will provide that resource uh, to care for them appropriately in the jail and then uh, identify a care provider to make sure that that inmate is plugged into upon release and it, even to the point where the mental health staff can uh, take them to a provider on the outside, introduce them to that uh, service provider so that it's the location is known, they've already had the introduction, and it's not a new strange face that is intimidating for that person to go to on their own. And in some cases, ideally, uh, mental health staff, uh, behavioral health staff will be able to work with uh, the housing uh, community, uh, St. Vincent de Paul or HAXA or other programs throughout the community to try to actually identify some housing opportunities for some of those that are homeless suffering mental illness. All of these things combined, we hope, will prove to, uh, if not uh, keep them from coming back to the jail, reduce the frequency or at least uh, increase the interval uh, between their returns to the jail. And ideally, as they release, they'll be more stable and more able to care for themselves, plugged into care and treatment that continues to keep them stable and caring for themselves and less likely to become uh, involved with law enforcement and then introduced back to the criminal justice system simply because of behaviors they're unable to control on their own without assistance and treatment. Yeah, and, that, and there's a wide range of mental health issues that put people in contact with you from you know, bipolar to, to the vet suffering from PTSD. Um, right. And it's better to try and deal with that with treatment than than to house them in a jail, which is much more expensive on a nightly basis than, right. than providing that, 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 that treatment and care. And, and it's something that Lane County's really focused on, and, and we're going to be joining in a national effort of the National Association of Counties called the Stepping Up Initiative, where we're really trying to keep people with mental health issues out of your jail in the first place also. So, you know, and this community's made you know, pretty good strides in that. It's one of the reasons why we have the cahoots um, bands out there where instead of a law enforcement response sometimes to these behaviors, we get uh, the cahoots guys go there and, and it's a, 
um, a crisis uh, mental health specialist teamed with like uh, um, a paramedic sort of guy. And those guys go out and deal with those people rather than bringing them into the, you know, getting them arrested and bringing them into the jail for disorderly conduct, um, getting them off the street. And then Lane County um, got a grant and opened a, quote, 23-hour crisis center uh, recently where we, where they can, the Cahoots people can actually bring somebody and they can stay for uh, up to 24 hours um, uh, at that there before they're maybe handed off to some other um, provider. And, and the whole idea now in the system is to do warm handoffs, which is what you described with the, uh, you know, uh, the mental, the, the Lane County mental health uh, staff, you know, introducing uh, an inmate that's released to the provider that's going to continue their care. Um, that's what's in the, the jargon of, of the uh, community, uh, mental health community, a warm handoff, you know, so that they, right. you know, those folks aren't, there isn't, you know, here's, here's the guy's address on a slip of paper. You know, you know you've got an appointment a week from today, go see him. And, and the guy never gets there. Right. So, you know, there's two there's two pieces to this that really are driving my focus on it. Is uh, one is is the humani- the humanity piece of it. We we are as a nation warehousing those with mental illness because we have eliminated the services to those in our communities who need assistance with their mental illness, and we have opted to warehouse them in the criminal justice system, which drives up the criminal justice system costs, drives up law enforcement costs, drives up jail costs. Uh, and it's the least humane way to deal with a population that really is in need of medical care and treatment as opposed to a, a criminal penalty for behavior that they are unable to control when they're not adequately cared for and, and able to maintain uh, the effects of their mental illness. So for one, you know that, that piece of it, it's the right thing to do. And the other piece of it is I recognize that while 60% of our jail population has some uh, condition related to mental illness. Not every one of those people should it, it could be it should be argued that they shouldn't be in the jail. Some people with mental illness commit acts that, that cause them to need to be in jail. So uh, I clearly recognize yeah. that. But at the same time, I think if we could effectively treat the population with mental illness from our jail, outside of the jail, in the community, in appropriate services, and keep them from the jail. We recognize, certainly here locally, that jail capacity is a premium resource. And if we could make jail beds available for those who choose to commit criminal acts that aren't uh, afflicted with a medical or mental illness condition that, that dictates their behaviors that they're not in control of, we have a number of people in our community, they choose uh, intentionally to commit criminal behaviors, and we don't have room for them in our jail. And so, the more beds we can vacate by removing the mentally ill from our jail and giving them appropriate treatment and housing elsewhere, the more room we have to deal with our true criminal population without increasing capacity and jail cost. So, there's a, a significant benefit to the criminal justice system if as a criminal justice community across the state and across the country, we can start finding ways to move the mentally ill out of the criminal justice system into appropriate care and treatment, and then reserve our jail space for those who really need to be in jail because they made a conscious choice and don't have an otherwise legitimate excuse for their criminal behavior. It's a well said. And I just want to remind folks that this is the Bo's Nose Show, and I'm talking with Sheriff Byron Trapp today. And if you want to talk to Sheriff Trapp, you can just give us a call at 646-721-9887. And just press 1, and that lets uh, Robin, my producer and call screener extraordinaire, uh, know you want to get in on conversation, and we'll get you lined up, and, and you can get on the air with uh, myself and Sheriff Trapp and Fire away, and, and anything's fair game. Doesn't have to be the jail levy. Um, you know, this the state legislature is playing around with some legislation that would allow uh, red light cameras uh, in Oregon, uh, in in more cities, and also um, 
you know, there's been some changes in marijuana laws at up the legislature. There's all sorts of things we can talk about, or we can talk about, um, you know, police services or other parts of the, the sheriff's office. Uh, whatever's on your mind, just give us a call at 646-721-9887. And uh, again, just press one, lets us know you want to get in on the conversation. So, uh, Byron, I, I was listening to you on uh, KPNW this morning with uh, Bill London and Rob Holloway there on the wake-up call. Um, yeah. And Bill asked a question that, that I actually got into an a, a email interchange with, with a, a friend of mine, uh, you know, who you know, basically was pushing, and I imagine he's probably also emailed Bill London about this, and that's why he got the question, which was, yeah. you know, there are, are, it doesn't seem like there's been any really change in the crime rate since we did adopt the jail levy. So why should we renew it? It was kind of the, 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 the tactic this guy was taking. Um, and I kind of tried to argue back like you did this morning that it wasn't really about reducing property crime. It was about holding violent offenders. Um, right. And I think that we've actually got statistics that show we've been su- successful but I think you answered that pretty well with Bill this morning. But you want to go over that again because not sure. everyone might have been listening to the wake up call this morning. And I know that Daryl listens to this show and he he knows he knows I'm talking about him probably. Um, but it was that was his big objection was the crime statistics aren't aren't changing. Right. So yeah, most people ask about the property crime uh, and what we generally call nuisance crime uh, issues in the community. And uh, the violent crime rate generally stays fairly steady in in trends, whichever direction it trends, but not not with any rapid changes. Violent crime is kind of unique and separate uh, issue from uh, property crime, drug crime, and nuisance crime. And so, what we were really focused on, at, and the original intent of the levy. And the community told us, they said, we don't want to open the whole, we're not willing to pay for a dramatic change in service. We want to provide the word used was a modest level of support for the jail to provide a sufficient capacity to hold the violent offenders of the community. And so that's really the what has has occurred to this point. It doesn't mean that at some point we couldn't add a little bit more jail capacity than what we have once we get caught up with hiring deputies. Um, and we might start to cut into a little bit of the property and drug crime. Uh, but uh, we were, like we already mentioned, not keeping those uh, in Lane County accused of criminal behavior that was at the Measure 11 uh, type of crime or the, the very violent uh, person crime felonies. And what happens with that is that doesn't... Uh, when when those those persons with those crimes are not maintained in jail until they can get to a court, uh, we when we have to release them because of capacity, we give them a court date, and on their honor, we expect them to show up in court. Now, most people, when they are facing substantial prison time for a violent felony person crime, will choose to not come to court, and they know they've chosen to miss their court date. And now they are aware of law enforcement in the community. And when law enforcement attempts to make contact for a traffic stop or for whatever purpose, then the propensity for violence rises, the attempts to flee and elude law enforcement rises, and the risk to the community goes up in the efforts to recapture and bring them back to the jail in effort to get them in front of the court to answer to their violent crime. And not to mention the cases that occur sometimes four and five or six times these people get rearrested before they finally make it to the courtroom uh, to be uh, have their case adjudicated and you know, have a trial and be uh, found guilty and sent to prison. So all of those processes repeated over and over increase the police department's cost, the sheriff's office cost, the state police department's cost, they increase the court costs, the judicial staff's costs, the, the court support costs. And and so by eliminating that revolving door in the jail and those rearrests multiple times and the failed appearances and the multiple warrants issued by the judicial staff multiple times, all those costs are removed from 
each individual case, and it occurs only once. When those people get arrested for violent crime, they stay in jail. They go to, they're found not guilty and released, or they're found guilty and sentenced to whatever their sentence is. In violent cases, usually penitentiary time. They don't go out of the jail and, and, and through that cycle. And that doesn't affect property crime because we're just maintaining the custody of the violent offenders. And so uh, the other problem is even if we were able to open an unlimited number of beds and not release any person from the county jail early, Lane County does not have effective baseline property crime statistics. Now, I'm only speaking for unincorporated Lane County that the Sheriff's Office serves because we have insufficient staff and have had for many, many years, I would say 20 years, where we have implemented a process called a citizen self-report form. Somebody breaks into your vehicle, breaks into your unattached garage or outbuilding and you know, or other property crime, and you call the sheriff's office and say, I've been a victim of a property crime, a theft, criminal mischief, property damage. We mail you a police report and ask you to fill it out and mail it back to it. We assign it a case number. We file it as though it's a regular police report, and it can be relied upon for investigative uh, purposes uh, in the future, not necessarily very frequently does that occur, uh, but I completely understand it frustrates the community and the people that get those. And so over the course of the last many years, we have tracked a only a 30% return of those self-report forms we mail out for property crime, which means we're not reporting over 60% of property crime in Lane County. Now, last year, I noted that we are up to 50% return rate. And I think all that tells me is that some of the people who don't return them quit calling for them in the first place. And so the people that are returning them are the ones that are calling and more likely to return them, so the return rate's going up. But now we're still not collecting 50% of the crime statistics in Lane County for property crime and other related uh, non-person, non-violent crime. City of Eugene and the City of Springfield are staffed at a level that they can respond and report most crime, uh, if not all crime in most circumstances. And so they have very good stats in the cities. So uh, I won't discount totally uh, property crime or drug crime statistics, but they are you know, subject to interpretation. However, we know to this point in time we are not holding people in jail sufficiently uh, for property crimes and drug crimes, and those uh, arrested persons are the ones being released uh, today, pre-trial. They don't get to a courtroom before we release them. We give them a court date, and they may or may not return. Uh, or those are the ones that do get to court. A judge sentences them to 90 days in the county jail, and we release them early because we don't have capacity to keep that low threat uh, uh, inmate, and they get released in uh you know, 20 days, and the remainder of their sentence is considered time served by by law when we release them early. They never have to come back and complete that sentence. So there's not a big penalty for those non-person, non-violent crimes. And so uh, until we have the capacity to reach that group, we're not going to see measurable results in the property crime. And the community four years ago told us that was not uh, the interest at the time. And in the community conversations we had over the last year before we requested the levy renewal go to the vote, the community uh, told us essentially they, they're at the same place. They are very supportive of continuing what was implemented four years ago. They're not ready to increase uh, cost of taxation to increase services in public safety. And so uh, I recognize that, and it's frustrating to see that we still have 96 empty beds in the jail and that we're not addressing the nuisance crime and the property crime, which touches many more of us in the community than violent crime does. Uh, but but that's the uh, the challenge we face with the service level is that it's a slow system to rebuild. I, learned, I tell people now, I've learned going through uh, 2007 through 2012, the sheriff's office laid off 95 employees, most of them deputy sheriffs. We eliminated 200 jobs which caused the sheriff's office to downsize about a third of our overall organization size. We provide services only, and so uh, our people are our service delivery mechanism. When we cut deputies, we cut service. And we did that to make budget. We were in the cliff of the end of the federal timber revenues, and we had to uh, quickly downsize to be within budget. 
And so we realized, I've realized, it's very quick and expedient way to make budget is to just terminate all your employment uh, relationships and, and eliminate your personnel costs. And it, on the flip side of that, as we get resources uh, back to restore services, it's painfully slow and much more expensive uh, to restore services than it would have been to keep them online. But in the intervening years, we didn't have the funds to keep them online. So those are the challenges we face, and, and uh, I don't know when the community will be able to support more service, and at this point we're not seeking that. We're just simply seeking to, to not lose the uh, investment that's been made over the last four years to restore the jail levels uh, that we've uh, been able to accomplish. Yeah, and then... You know, you, you described that, you know, it is a little bit disappointing that it doesn't have a major impact on property crime and some of these uh, quality of life crimes. But in some ways it has. And um, it, it, it's kind of demonstrated by who supports the levy and who's come in to testify for support of the first time we, we did the levy and also who came in to testify for the renewal of the levy. And it's a kind of a surprising cross-section of people um, that support it because uh, even though we don't have, you know, all the beds we'd like to have, one of the things about having the levy is it is it's leveraged us having at least some uh, sufficient beds as what we call sanctioned beds right. um, in, in the jail. And uh some of the organizations that came in to testify in the hearings to the board of commissioners, you wouldn't normally think would testify. We need more jail space. Okay. Uh, I, you know, some of those folks that testified were um, uh, the uh, uh, addiction treatment folks. Uh, some of the folks that testified were the public defenders. Right. You know, uh, so talk a little bit about why, all these uh, nonprofit um, folks that deal with a lot of the same people you deal with um, and, and people, you know, everyone always talks about, we really ought to be putting our money in treatment and, you know, we shouldn't be warehousing people and all that stuff. But why were, you know, you know, victim services agencies like women's space, why were all these folks lined up saying we really need the jail beds? Um, great. You know, yeah, great. Can you talk about point. that a little bit? Absolutely. So one of one of the things that uh, we have known all the time uh, for for many years is that the the jail component, the jail or prison uh, piece of the criminal justice system, is really the hub, and really the jail is is the hub. The prison is is more of a an offshoot uh, spoke of the system. But uh, if you don't have an adequate or functioning jail in your public safety system locally. Then there's there's no um, there's no way to enforce the rest of the uh, functions of the system. The public defenders uh, were and continue to be very supportive of uh, the current levy funding, the current jail uh, enhancements. And from this perspective, they said that they were unable to effectively provide defense to their clients because they could never find their clients. Their client would get arrested for a violent crime or other crime and would be promptly released from the jail for lack of capacity. Uh, they would be assigned the case, and them uh, wanting to be a quality uh, defense attorney and provide an adequate defense that uh, every person is in this uh, country is owed by our Constitution and our form of criminal justice system, um, they were frustrated because they could never get their client to court uh, like we spoke of, they would get a court date from the sheriff's office when we kicked them out of the jail, and then they would not show up. The defense attorney would be sitting in the courtroom on that date, along with the judge and court staff, and their client would not appear. Their client would have a warrant arrest, uh, a warrant issued for their arrest, and then the uh, they'd have to wait until that client was arrested somewhere and brought back into the criminal justice system. They would get released, and the defense attorney would wait in the courtroom for them to show up on their trial date given them by the jail, and they wouldn't appear. So the defense attorney said, we have to have some level of jail capacity to at least keep our clients contained long enough for us to meet with them and begin to plan a defense 
and and get a relationship with them so we know where to find them and how to contact them before we have to get in front of a courtroom. So that was kind of a unique partnership that came out of it. The other uh, piece was the treatment providers. We've had a long conversation in Lane County. It's a, kind of the conversation between uh, the treatment uh, world and, and uh, law enforcement where we kind of compete uh, law enforcement cops and prosecutors think that we need more jail capacity and other there's another side of thinking that says that we can keep people out of jail if we just provide adequate treatment for their addictions uh, if we treat their addictions then their behaviors will cease and so I recognize the value of both of those but the treatment providers came and said for the first time in a long time they petitioned the county to increase jail capacity because as treatment providers and the courts that were ordering treatment as part of a condition of a sentence or as part of a parole or probation uh, in, uh, in their supervision, they were told to go to treatment and the person might show up and say, you know, I really don't like this treatment, I don't think I'm going to go. And the treatment providers of the courts would say, well, we'd put you in jail, but there isn't a jail. And so there was no hammer to make people comply with their conditions of supervision or, or treatment or uh, other conditions of their sentence that was imposed by the court. So those people became a partner and still remain to this day a partner. And at a certain point, when we reach a certain capacity where treatment is no longer adversely affected by lack of capacity, then we'll start having that broader conversation again is what's more important to fund at this point. Is it treatment or is it jail or is it a slow combination of both? But we're not there yet. The treatment providers are still continue to say, we've got to continue to grow the jail because we still don't have adequate sanctions. Parole and probation uh, is uh, their job is to supervise all of those who have been convicted of crime in the county, and uh, whether it's felony crime or misdemeanor crime, if the court puts them on probation uh, and supervised under parole and probation, community corrections they're called, um, it's their job to make sure that everybody under a sentence and and, uh, and rules of conduct uh, under their their sentence complies with that. A lot of that means you can't consume alcohol when you're on probation. Uh, you can't consume drugs. You can't participate with people that do. You can't uh, hang out with people that do. You have to be employed. There's a number of conditions. And then if people violate those conditions, or you certainly can't commit new crimes. And so if people are unwilling or unable to follow those rules, then normally their parole and probation does what's called a, a, a revocation, and then they put them in jail until they get in front of a hearing and then to determine what the longer-term sanction will be, whether it's you know, other, other impositions of other sentence issues or a longer visit in the jail or back to prison if they're on parole. And so when there's no local jail capacity, sanctions don't work because there, there's no capacity for sanctions. So while uh, we're, we've, we've come a long way back, we're, we don't have the sanction capacity that we need for this community, but we have restored a substantial amount of sanction capacity where prone probation is much more functional, the treatment systems and programs are much more uh, functional and working, and we have uh, great programs in the circuit court, in the treatment courts. They have a drug treatment court, a veterans treatment court, and a new, uh, relatively new uh, mental health treatment court. And the, the idea there is it's a diversion-based program where if you qualify uh, you, if it's a drug treatment court, if you qualify with a, a certain drug crime and, and uh, maybe it's a, one of your first crimes, you can go to treatment court, follow through, comply with all the treatment programs, and then at the end of it you can have some or all of your charges dismissed. And if you're a veteran, you can have other crimes that comply or that allow you to be in the veteran treatment court, and at the end uh, you get your, your case dismissed. But there has to be sanctions, and the other piece is that there has to be jail capacity for people to uh, be lodged to become sober enough to be able to have a, a appropriate and reasonable and coherent conversation with the judge uh, to be uh, able to understand whether or not they're eligible for a treatment court. And we have a, a community correction or community release center where we are able in certain cases to take somebody from the jail put them in the release center, which allows them to continue employment or gain employment, which makes, in some cases will make them eligible for treatment court, 
and will allow them to be the successful step from jail to the uh, work release center uh, into treatment housing and uh, effective treatment and programming to get them through and successfully graduate the drug treatment program. I just went to a graduation last week uh, in Judge Rookley's court where three of the or four of the, three of the four graduates uh, did just that. They were arrested, lodged in jail. They transferred from the jail to the work release center, were able to obtain employment and work into a uh, supportive housing that allowed them to continue in their treatment with their employment and be successful in their treatment court graduation, become drug and alcohol free, and uh, employed uh, functioning members of our community. And, and their graduations are very emotional and, and rewarding experiences to see. So the increase in capacity allows a number of those other things that are kind of invisible. The average community member sees the big brick building with the you know the little windows with the, stri the metal strips across them, and they see people come and go, and and we really think that's all there is with a jail system. But it is woven into the entire fabric of the criminal justice system. Of course, the judges want a more jail capacity to sentence, and the prosecutor needs more jail capacity to hold offenders. Similar to the defense attorney, if we can't hold people in our jail, then we can't them because they never show up. The defense can't, attorneys can't defend them. The prosecutor has the same problem on the flip side of that. So there's just a number of those things that all interact with each other. And, uh, and so as we continue to rebuild our jail capacity, it has a positive impact on all of those other systems that connect and interact with our jail. Yeah. Which, you know, those other systems are about reducing property crime and a lot of what, you know, we call quality of life crimes, not violent crime. Right. And, you know, whether or not we're actually seeing a statistical change, the extra jail beds do support that, that trying to work on that side of, of the ledger, trying to reduce those property crimes. So, you know, I, changing subjects a little bit, and I'll just remind people one more time in the phone number as we have, have about 15 minutes or so left in the show. If you want to get in on the conversation, ask Sheriff Trapp a question or myself a question. It's 646-721-9887, and you press one, and, and it lets us know you want to get in on the air. On the air, because some people call that number just to listen to the show on their phone because they don't have their computer with them. But again, it's 646-721-9887, uh, and you can get in on the conversation. So. Byron, it, Springfield built a jail, and, and it's you know had a significant um, uh, effect on their you know lower level crimes because they can hold uh, misdemeanor offenders, uh, male prisoners in good health, and, and it kind of and and not and not what I would call the most comfortable conditions. So it's kind of had a little bit of an impact on their crime rate. Um, Eugene doesn't have a jail. Is there some reason why they haven't built the jail, or, or you know, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Right. Well, I can't speak for the city. I haven't actually asked or heard anyone from the city speak to why they haven't, other than I, I generally believe or assume it's it's a budget issue. Uh, the community of Springfield has consistently, for many many years, been a very strong supporter of their public safety both their police department, uh, their municipal court system, and uh, recently, uh, in the last several years, uh, funding of a jail, and not just to build the jail, but to actually fund the operation and staffing of the jail. And, uh, and so for most municipalities, uh, it's a budget uh, concern where they don't have the resources. And under Oregon law, there's a number of things the sheriff is required to do. One of them is to receive all prisoners that are arrested in, in their county and take them to the judge uh, for their trials, which means to do that, we have to have a jail. And so no other law enforcement under Oregon law is required to present their the sheriff. So everybody else is told, if you arrest somebody, give them to the sheriff. It's the sheriff's responsibility by Oregon law to hold them and bring them to the courtroom. And so nobody else has to have a jail. And so it's optional for everyone, but it's mandatory for the, the county to provide it through their sheriff. And so uh, yeah. where Springfield said there's not local capacity, 
for the low-level misdemeanors, nonviolent property crime, nuisance crime, quality of life crime, the community supported uh, building a, a uh, municipal jail. I believe Springfield has the largest municipal jail in the state of Oregon. They have not ever filled it to capacity, and in fact, they're converting a portion of it to house female prisoners, uh, inmates, um, as they're uh, seeing the same trends that we are and the state is, is that there's an increase in female criminal population in jails and prisons, and so we're all struggling with managing uh, a split uh, gender facility that, that uh, it brings more and more challenges with the, the more the, even the split of, of the gender ratio is. So, so uh, anyway, but it has been a tremendous benefit for the city of Springfield because if somebody commits a misdemeanor crime in the city of Springfield, municipal courts only have jurisdiction over misdemeanors. Circuit courts have jurisdiction over felonies, and misdemeanor municipal jails under misdemeanor uh, jurisdiction can only hold misdemeanors. Ever, all the felon uh, charges, felony charges, have to come to the county jail, and so Springfield is able to choose. First of all, they they only hold those that are charged with misdemeanors, and then they can choose to only hold those that are low risk offenders, low risk uh, inmates. They uh, can decide to keep only those that up until this point were men, uh, but those inmates who have no medical concerns or conditions or special needs, so there's no medical care costs that are significant. Behavior issues, if they have a behavior problem and they're violent or they have a mental illness, they they can quickly take them all to the county jail and drop them off, and then I am obligated by law to receive them and deal with those high-cost, expensive, and high-liability high offenders. And so the the benefit, though, is that the nuisance crime issue in Springfield has been very well managed, and I have part, uh, sat through courtrooms, uh, court uh, sessions in Springfield, and I see the, mis the uh, municipal judges are able to very quickly and, and uh, in many cases sentence offenders that are unable to otherwise provide uh, uh, appropriate payment of fines or otherwise. They get sentenced to time in the city jail, and so uh, when, you're, when you're in Springfield, there's a there's certainly a preventative thought about misdemeanor behavior because there's an immediate and direct penalty in Springfield where there isn't in any other part of the community, uh, broader Lane County. Eugene rents 15 beds at the county jail that they control completely. If they have 17 people in our jail on municipal charges, we call the city of Eugene and say, you have 17 people, which two municipal charge people do you want to release? They tell us which two to release so that they're down to their 15. And and so, but they get to control those 15. So they do have some capacity to manage municipal offenders, misdemeanor offenders for some of their downtown nuisance behavior problems, but only 15. Springfield has 100. And so, uh, you know, there are benefits to more capacity, but it's hard for us to provide more capacity to the city on rented beds because that takes away from the local offender capacity, and then that further limits the ability of all law enforcement in Lane County to have jail capacity for unrestricted general uh, criminal uh, defendants that are arrested throughout the county. So it's a balance, and we will continue to partner with Eugene and, and see if we can find you know uh, capacity that allows. And I think there's the opportunity for them to, to have a contract with Springfield. I think they do have a contract with Springfield Municipal Court. I'm not sure exactly the details and the capacity that that provides them. Uh, but uh, there are actually several city jails throughout the county, Junction City and Florence and Cottage Grove and uh, Oak Ridge. Uh, so there's a few of them out there, by far yeah. Springfield's the largest. Yeah. So changing subjects a little bit, Byron, um, mm -hmm. is in the news today about the states considering issuing driver's licenses that 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 are have a category for non-binary uh, sex, um, basically oh, not male, not that. female. Yeah, they're, they're talking about instead of M, M or F on your license, they're going to put an X there. Um, have you had to handle a situation where an inmate um, you know, either wouldn't identify with the sex they are and didn't want to be housed with that sex, or, or how do you deal with that, that, right. that issue of, of of the sexual identity with with the jail. 
Well, we have over for many years. I've been with the Sheriff's Office 29 years. I first started my career here in the jail 29 years ago, and even then I can recall uh, transgender uh, inmates. And so it's not a new issue. It certainly wasn't as prevalent then uh, than it is now. There's certainly, uh, it's more common uh, to see that. Uh, it is a growing concern in jails across the country. It is a growing area of litigation, uh, and the rules change with every court case. And so uh, our staff will, uh, as with all jails in the in the state, um, we have a very uh, effective sheriff's association, and part of that association is a jail manager's council where the jail managers communicate routinely. We have a Oregon jail standards that have been developed by the uh, Oregon sheriffs and, and our jail commanders that have a set of standards far beyond what's required in federal and, and local law that uh, are designed to provide the best, uh, most humane uh, facilities and to limit as much as possible our liabilities and to address specifically those kinds of issues as they emerge. And so the jail managers in Oregon and ours are very uh, engaged in this uh, Sheriff's Association program. We'll monitor and, and be plugged into all of the changing uh, laws and case law and make adjustments to the jail standards uh, as far as housing and management of inmates that have uh, gender identities that are not uh, traditional male or female. And uh, it, there's not a simple answer, and sometimes it consumes more capacity than a simple tr uh, traditional gendered inmate would because we can say, well, if you're a female and you identify as female, you just go into the female dorm. And if you're a male and you identify as a male, you go into the male dorm. But if you're transgendered and you don't necessarily, uh, you have you have born with male genitals, but you identify as a female, we can't really put you in either male or female dorm. And so we have to have separate housing. Well, often that means single cell and not dormitory. So that means then that is there a discrimination lawsuit because uh, AJL cannot provide the same housing opportunities for all persons identifying with gender in any manner than any than the others with a traditional gender identification. And so those are the kinds of issues that. Uh, we're monitoring and we're watching develop in the courts. And at some point, it's going to get to a Supreme Court case. So one of these cases will hit the Supreme Court, and then there will be a definitive answer for the entire country on how we deal with this gender issue. And then the next gender issue will have to be answered in the next court process. So it's it's a challenge. Uh, it does affect our jail. Uh, we are doing as much as possible to stay on top of the, the, the uh, case law trends and, and making sure that we're following as much as possible to limit our liability and not be one of the case law uh, issues that goes forward. It's not a, a Lane County case law that, that sets a national trend or rule. Yeah, and on top of you know all those various aspects, um, your jail was actually the first jail in Oregon to be certified under the Prison Rape Elimination Act as, as being... Um, you know, safe for yeah. for your inmates as far as far as rape goes. So, um, yeah, you know, we were the first jail that so met you, you, the, that that met all the standards and it was audited and and deemed fully compliant with the what's called PREA, the federal PREA standards. And there's been other jails since then that have since been audited and found compliant. But Lane County's jail, our jail, was the first one in the state actually for some time stood alone as the only jail in the state of Oregon that was fully PREA, uh, PREA Act compliant. Great. Well, Byron, I really want to thank you for coming on the show today. Yeah, and, thank you uh, very much. It's been a great it's a pleasure to be here. Great show. And I'll just tell everybody out there, as far as I'm concerned, you need to vote yes on Measure 2271 and support our, our local law enforcement folks and our jail capacity here in Lane County. And um, Byron, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And, uh, Good night. You too, and it's the wraps up another episode of the Bose Nose Show. We'll be back next week, and who knows who we'll have on. And by then, we'll kind of know what happened with the jail levy. So, thank you for listening, and have a great week. 
and good night from the Bo's Nose Show. <laughs>